Oh my god, welcome back to Liquid Gold. Alright, where the ricks are rolled and the Tecate is always cold, welcome back to a special edition of Liquid Gold, right here on the We Own This Town podcast network, weownthistown.net. Shout out to producer Michael Eads and Upright T-Rex Music for the tunage here that you hear. My name's Mike Wolf, your host today, along with my co-host, Mr. Kenneth Edmond, who we'll be hearing from later. It's the lost episode today. We've been sitting on this one for a while because it was just so strange to go back and listen to, but it's been about six months now. We figure it's time. It was our, our guest was Andy Wedge, a sommelier and beverage director with the Momofuku Group out in New York City. He was, at the time of the interview, he was at Bar Wyo in Brooklyn, and we had worked with Andy. So it was a lot of fun to sit down with him, but this was the last time we were all in the studio together. We had picked up Alex Birch from Bastion, basically off the street. Uh, (laughs) Kenneth was having brunch and ran into him. And when I went to pick up Kenneth, we were like, hey, you should come along. We're, We're about to talk to Andy Wedge. So Alex Birch is along for the ride. So it's the four of us. In a, in a small room, not socially distanced. It was uh, March 1st, I believe. It was a few days before the tornado would come through Nashville. It's really this time capsule of pre-tornado, pre-pandemic Nashville. Now we talk a little bit about coronavirus. Most of it was edited out. Some of it was super awkward uh, to go back on, but this interview today that we're airing from six months ago is a, is a natural kind of part two from our, our episode last week where we talked Negroni. We were talking a lot about Apertivo, Apertivo culture. We are drinking Americanos in this episode. So we talked a little bit about that last week. We talk about the Garibaldi cocktail, Campari and orange juice, where the orange juice is frothed up. It's a big one that we get into on this episode. Aperol spritzes. We talk a little bit about craft beer entitlement. Kenneth goes over chasing the claw. He wants to press a sommelier about White Claw. That's pretty fun. We get into Japan and how some of their foods were shaped and how the difficulties of categorizing food. So this is really, it was just a different time where we're talking about the the possibilities of restaurants and the, the new way of not necessarily categorizing everything and having more of a dialogue with the guest. Also, Andy Wedge gets into pairing bold and spicy flavors with red wine and how that can be tough for sommeliers and for just everyday folks. And then a bulk of it in the middle, we talk about pairing beverages with hip hop. We figured we could take a a sommelier and put a bunch of questions to him. Hey, what are you going to pair with this entree? What are you going to pair with this food? We thought it'd be fun because Andy's such a hip hop guy. If, uh, and he's probably never had the opportunity to pair some of his favorite hip hop artists with wine or beverage. So that's a lot of fun talking hip hop with him. And then on the back side of that interview, I caught up with Andy Wedge again just recently the other day. He's in Manhattan. His apartment in Brooklyn burned down when he moved back in early July. So, I mean, this guy's been through a ton in these last six months. So we catch up with him after this lost episode. So check out that on the flip side. And just keep in mind that we are, you know, just sitting there, lots of swagger, feeling great about things. It's Sunday afternoon. A few of these guys just went to brunch, and it's just like brunch has become this thing where it's like, wait, we're not we're not going back to brunch after all this. I thought that was interesting. We thought it'd be fun to finally dig this episode up. We hope to be back in the studio eventually. And also worth mentioning here, Andy Wedge is featured in the new ebook, 
Lost Spring, How We Cocktailed Through Crisis. It's out on Turner Publishing. Check it out. Uh, the Nashville Scene, I want to thank them. They did a really nice piece on the book and talked to some of the contributors in there. So I want to thank Margaret Littman for doing that and writing a great piece for the Nashville Scene. Also, got to mention Tennessee Action for Hospitality. Proceeds from Lost Spring go to hospitality workers here in Middle Tennessee through Tennessee Action for Hospitality and all the great work that they're doing. So thanks to them as well. You can buy the book on Amazon. It's $6.99, super low price. It's like the price of a happy hour drink. There's just amazing thoughts in here about what it was like for bartenders to shut it down and stay at home and be away from each other, be away from their teammates, what they were making at home, plenty of cocktail recipes in here, as well as some cool essays from my good buddy, Matt Campbell, who writes about working at uh, Robert's Western World on New Year's Day one year. And there's just some great thoughts from bartenders from all walks of life. So I want to thank Andy for being a part of that. Do check that out. More info as well at weownthistown.net. But here it is, our chat back pre-tornado, pre-pandemic with Andy Wedge from Momofuku and Alex Birch along for the ride as well from Bastion. And we'll turn it over to simpler times, simpler days. You can hear it in our voices. Ken Kenneth. <laughs> well, we need to hear, um, probably off air, the story about what really happened with the hot chicken slash hangover where Chang like got sick and all that. Oh, yeah. Because there's some conflicting reports out there. Oh, really? No. Oh. I can see he's getting nervous. We're not going to talk about it on the show. <laughs> no. <laughs> You haven't heard of that though. You were there. No, I was there. Andy Wedge, Andy Wedge, yes. Mikey, how are you, Kenneth? Um, heavily, heavily caffeinated, Mike. Heavily caffeinated, as always. Welcome to Liquid Gold, right here on We Own This Town Network. We Own This Town .net. Very special episode here for you today, and we're so excited to have our old friend, wine correspondent from the neighborhood, Mr. Alex hmm. Birch is here. Pleasure to Alex. Be here. Welcome. How are you, my man? Great. Great to have you back. And our special guest, all the way from New York City, he is a wealth of knowledge. We're going to get into a little bit of that. He also likes hip-hop, and he may or may not have just gotten a tattoo. Yeah. Hey, guys. Mr. Andy Wedge. Hi. Welcome, Andy. Thank you. It's been a while. Yeah, too long. Love from Bar Wyo, out in uh, New York City, Momofuku Group. Wyo. Super special. I feel like we could dive right in right now to, uh, I do want to get into Cody Regal, who hit us up on Instagram. He's a listener. Cody, thanks for listening. I appreciate your point. So he he hit us up and he was like, yeah, you guys talk about a lot of cool natural wine and natural ingredients. When you've talked about uh, uh, Campari or Campari cocktails, you don't really get into the artificial coloring that goes into some of our cocktails and especially cocktails with Campari. So Co I was like, Cody, good point. We're going to give you a shout out. Also, uh, what we're drinking today kind of flies in the face of that because we have the Red Bitter, they just call it Red, from Fourth Haven Spirits in Brooklyn, uh, New York City. So we're kind of like, we're doubling down on the New York vibe tonight. And what we're drinking is, uh, yeah, they're right there in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. Um, I was going to give their website, but they're, uh, I think they're right at Fourth Haven spirits.com and what we're drinking today is is all natural so they've got some sediment in the bottle which is kind of trippy you can hear that sediment floating around um and we're drinking 
some nice red bitter and soda with some caracara orange for a little uh, play off our citrus episode. We've got some rosemary flowers in there. So that's kind of our drink of choice right now. Gentlemen, are we enjoying? Yeah. Aperitivo hour? Delicious. I do want to mention that we're doing a really special event with Andy Wedge out at Bar Wyo in New York City, April 17th. So it'll be right around the corner for Garden to Glass, the book tour, leg two of the book tour. Really excited to be out there. We're going to do some fun stuff, some drinks from the book, some takes off drinks from the book. And also, you guys are doing some amazing things in the bar there. Yeah, we're having a lot of fun. As far as Garden to Glass goes, we're we're not quite as so much in the foraging side of things, but we do really take, I think, the idea that you use the husk a lot, and, and I kind of learned so much from you there, kind of using a lot of kitchen ingredients in our cocktails. Awesome. Um, and kind of just like raiding the pantry to find out what we can use to, to make something unique and interesting. Super cool. Um, so like I said, it's not so much the foraging part of it, but I think it's the other side of that, that, that we used to do that you used to do at Husk so well. Yeah. That's yeah. cool, man. You got, well, a ro- you got a rooftop over there? Yeah, there's a rooftop. So we're not, we don't have a rooftop, but the building has a rooftop that has a lot of concerts in the summertime and a skating rink on the wintertime. Weird. Yeah. Super weird. But it's a lot of fun. <laughs> we saw uh, Avril Lavigne this past year. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, Paul McCartney came up, came and played. Oh, wow. That I think was the biggest show. He of the played year. up there? Yeah, he played on the roof. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. He's got some roof experience. I would imagine so. That's one of my favorite <laughs> Beatles like bootlegs or performances was them on the roof. Oh, yeah. They had uh, Billy Preston playing Rhodes. Only dude, I think, uh, who played electric keyboard for the Beatles and Stones and The Who. What did uh, Avril Lavigne, uh, what did she sing? She did all the hits. Every yeah. one of them? Yeah, Skater Boy. Nice. That's my favorite one. We made a drink for Skater Boy. She wrote that about Kenneth. Just with little known likely. fact. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like Pink? Pink the singer? Yeah. Yeah, she's cool. She's cool. Good job. Yeah. I like her. She she did a like a skateboard video sort of thing too. An homage to skateboarders early in her career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you in it? No. Oh, you should have been. Great singer. Pink. She's, she's got some chops. So to begin today, we're, it's, uh, it's late afternoon, early evening. We're getting into aperitivo hour. And I thought we could start here because being in the beverage industry and working at bars and things like that, this is something that you're starting to see more in bars and in restaurants, people thinking more along those lines, drinking a little bit more like Italians and like the, our lovely French friends over there who uh, they do aperitifs. They've got Sue's, they've got pastis with like a little bit of soda or pastis with like a mint cordial is really interesting that they're doing. Sailors we love uh, on the French side, a gentian liqueur. And if you really want to know what gentian, the bitter root tastes like, that's in every, uh, almost every bitters and almost every bitter liqueur. If you want to know what that tastes like, you really have to go to Sue's, Sailors, um, spirits like that. Typically drank with soda like we're drinking today. So if we were going to give you a recipe of a French style or Italian style uh, aperitif, aperitivo drink, which is cool because they have this on the bottle. Forte has this on their bottle, an aperitivo by Forte Spirits, which is kind of neat. But if we were going to give you a recipe, I would probably say um, this is the one we're drinking now is professional level because we're going to be here for a little while. It's kind of a big, uh, it's kind of a big gulp of, uh, <laughs> in true American fashion, but I would say you could go anywhere from an ounce and a half to three ounces 
of, say, a Apertivo, Campari, Aperol. We love the Cokey stuff. And we're really inspired by what these guys are doing because they are making tinctures at their lab and distillery. They're making all these different tinctures and all these different glass jars and then blending them together for all these cool flavors. But anyway, I would say, yeah, ounce and a half to three ounces. And then you've got, say, three to four ounces of soda. And um, garnishes can run the gamut from a little citrus peel, a little bit of citrus juice. You can squeeze in some lemon. We've got Cara Cara Orange, so we're kind of taking it to the next level just because we've got that stuff around today um, in the Liquid Gold Pantry. Thank you, Darren. Or go pick uh, go pick Dandelion. Dandelion right, right would now, be great. Like, mm. In the next couple of weeks, Dandelion's going to be everywhere. Yeah, I saw a bunch Don't today. We had a 60-degree day. Like, eat some mushrooms and go pick Dandelions. Like... <laughs> Like everyone's gonna think you're on them anyway. <laughs> grown ass, grown ass man picking dandelions, front yeah. yard. <laughs> and then I think part of the, what's cool about the tradition of the aperitivo is the little snack, and it's less just like a little uh, ritual before dinner or in the afternoon. We're snacking on some olives. You could go crackers and cheese. Alex, what do you? What do you? What do you? Uh, how? How do you aperitivo? <laughs> Uh, well, as you, you could, saw, as I saw today, yeah, yeah. today, yeah. Um, Cafe Rose, yeah, Cafe Rose, introduced to me by Cafe Dante was the Garibaldi, so Campari, orange juice. There they run it through a centripetal or centrifugal juicer, so it's nice and fluffy. Whoa, Dante, the um, best bar in the world. Mm, yeah, pretty insane. Juice. We're gonna get back to that. Yes, yeah. yeah. So delightful. That's that's how I aperitivo. Little Campari and OJ and yeah. just kind of like whiling away the mm-hmm. afternoon at the cafe. Every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Sugar mm-hmm. rush. Like blast. Crew. <laughs> like, they call me. <laughs> so Dante in New York City, Sugar that's rush. where that's what turned him on to this. And they are sort of the temple of these style of drinks. Oh, the especially the, the Italian the Italian style. Have you uh, have you spent some time there? Did you get to, to hang out there and have some drinks? And, yeah, yeah, I've been yeah. there a few times. Yeah. Um, it used to be easier to get into. But yeah, their Garibaldi is, is epic because of the fluffy orange juice. Mm-hmm. And then at any given time, they probably have 12 to 15 different Negroni variations on the menu. Amazing. They, they unabashedly batch and just like can pump out. It's great. Like I think that's that's the way to do it if you're if you're selling product. I think it's like batch it up, pour it from the bottle, good to go. Could we give our listeners a Garibaldi recipe? Because I feel like that could be a good one for, especially in Nashville, because everybody likes to brunch. Yeah. So would you give, what 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 kind of recipe? I keep it's it. It's super simple, easy. Campari and orange juice, yeah. Yeah, and we're saying maybe an ounce and a half to two and a half ounces of Campari. Uh, three. And then, what would that be? Around four ounces of orange juice, yeah, maybe? Probably, probably about four or five On ounces. the rocks. Yeah. You could splash a little soda in there. Um, yeah. And that's the great thing about these drinks is it's it's really an ounce and a half to three ounces of this, you know, vermouth, Aperol, Campari style spirit, and usually just soda. But you can use sparkling wine. That's a great one. Yep. So it's a fun way to drink and it's a cool ritual. And um, us being beverage professionals, it's, it's definitely something we're seeing more. Whereas I feel like five years ago, it was uh, the way we might want to drink, but it was almost like a little weird. To drink like that, like you'd go into a bar at like five o'clock and be like, you know, I just do a Campari soda, and they're like, really? Yeah, is uh, it? I think the growth, and it looks like cranberry juice. So what do you? Yeah, the growth of the uh, uh, Aperol spritz has kind of made it all acceptable now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd like to take a poll from the three of you. Mm. How do you garnish an Aperol spritz? 
Well, in the Momofuku group, we typically typically go with an orange peel and uh, an olive. Mm. Lovely. Mike? I love using an olive in, in any application, especially a martini. We were talking about the martini, olive and lemon twist. Orange slice and orange peel. I like both. And then the straw. Yeah. How about peel our man olives. over here? Oh, peel olive sounds great to me. Yeah. yeah. Always all, olive. You can leave anything else out. I think olive all the time. Yeah, olives. All of the time. <laughs> we knew we'd get a few, few zingers out of him over there oh man we're warming we're, up now we're glad that we saw you um with your thumb sticking out uh over there on fourth avenue when we were coming in it's just a great surprise that we've got you here at this time we should probably throw a shout out to our friends from and i can tie this all, whole thing together because i was just on uh nashville today the other day making some spritz for the lovely ladies of nashville today kelly and Carol, they're incredible, incredible folks. That's News Channel 4, right? Yeah, Channel 4, WSMV. WSMV. And uh, I was over there on Monday, and I was making spritzes with uh, Koki Americano, the Moscato-based vermouth, Cathead Honeysuckle, a lovely spirit from our friends at Cathead, and some Prosecco. And didn't even know, well, it was probably the show that put it over the top, but the next morning uh, it was announced that uh, Cathead is nominated for a James Beard Award. Yeah, that's spirits. great. Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations to all the folks over there at Cathead Distillery for their vodka, honeysuckle vodka, their hoodoo with chicory, which we love, and the Bristow Gin, which comes in at a bartender-approved 94 proof, I think. It's great. And be sure to check out Old Soul Whiskey from the Cathead Distillery. Now, Andy, you, you came into town. To uh, celebrate with your friends from Southern Grist, they just had your friends, our friends. Southern Grist was the inaugural Liquid Gold episode from uh, over a year ago. Indeedy. But they just celebrated their fourth anniversary. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy how far uh, craft beer has come with all that. And I did want to ask you, because I feel like you've got a really interesting perspective on it. You know a lot about kind of where craft beer came from. And how far it's come. You, you've been into craft beer for a long time. Now, where do you think it's going? Where does it go from here? Because we've had discussions on the show about that a little bit. And we're like, where can it, Where can we even go from here? Besides making like a really beautiful, pristine Kolsch, which you're starting to see that a little I bit. Think, I think that's it. We're kind of Is in the full circle mode right now. We're like a lot of what I'm drinking and a lot of what a lot of the brewers themselves enjoy is, is you know, a crispy, crispy pills. Yeah. Yeah, so Kolsch is definitely making a comeback. We saw some of those yesterday, and um, I personally drink a lot of, like, other half is in the Pilsner game now, Finback, Threes up in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what, what I'm stocking the fridge with most of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still love to grab some of these crazy 10 11% triple IPAs or whatever, but, yeah, the Pilsner kind of seems to be the next, how, how good of a Pilsner can we make? Yeah, because that takes real talent and kind of restraint. Yeah, and like anybody can throw a pizza into a beer. Yeah. So, also we could probably tell them if they're listening that they yeah, could right. also just use oregano. <laughs> I think that would do the pizza flavor. Yeah, just fine. Probably do tomatoes it. and oregano would probably yeah. do it. They could probably save the bread. Let me ask you something, Andy. Is anyone like uh, chasing the claw? Oh, any any of your peeps chasing the claw? You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Like, oh yeah, truly chasing. And you're referring to white claw. I'm not ashamed or to admit truly? that Come I on. knock a few back. Yeah. 
I, I'm. I bet you knock pointless. a lot back because yeah. I do, and it takes one to know one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, my girlfriend Hannah, who's sitting here with us, Hannah, and I, we uh, we like to have a, a claw every once in a while. It's a nice, nice way to start a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you know, end any night. Yeah. Um. You shot y'all shotgun them. I haven't shotgunned one yet. I'm not very good at shotgun. I am embarrassed to admit that. Talking to the Sinead O'Connor of shotgunning beers right here. Oh, dude. You're so sweet. <laughs> the Sinead of shotgunning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. This, I'm going to cry. <laughs> Alex, you much of a beer guy? Where are you at with beer? Uh, I'm, I'm Where are you at with the claw? Hobbyist. Yeah, beer in the claw? Uh, yeah. Things in a can? I've had some claw recently. I can get behind the claw. Yeah. Yeah. Not an aficionado on beer. Try to dive into it. Mm-hmm. Have some fun. Love grist. We're starting to see some quality uh, wine in cans now, mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, where I think just even a year or two, year, two years ago, there was maybe some starting to happen, not with such quality. But canned wine's dangerous. I went to an, a, a launch for a canned wine brand uh, last year. They were handing out all this canned wine with straws in it. And I'm telling you, two and a half hours later, it was like a rap video. Yeah. I mean, well, it's a lot of wi- clothes were coming of off. Yeah, and it was it was wild. It's dangerous. I always tell people with canned wine, be careful. Yeah, it goes down. I mean, it's not white claw. Even a twelve ounce can that's over two glasses of wine in most restaurants, and you're going to drink at the same speed as something else in a can. You can find yourself in some trouble. Yeah, I think it's really smart for like pools and concerts and stuff like that, where wineries are like, "What are we going to do with the bottle and the glass and all this other?" They're like, "All right, yeah, we're going to put it in a can." Yeah. And be really smart. I had a really great canned wine experience at Slim and Huskies. Oh, cool. Yeah, they got some canned rosé. And two days ago, it was almost warm enough for it to all make sense. When you moved from Nashville to head out to Brooklyn and New York, pretty big change. And what what was it like? So it's got to be great as a as a, a beverage professional, sommelier. You're very knowledgeable about wine. And, and and all those things. So you've got a lot of employment opportunities out there, but also it's got to be so amazing to go out to a place where there's just incredible bars and restaurants everywhere. But what was it like making that change? Yeah, I so I moved straight to Crown Heights in Brooklyn, um, where the the area where I was living there still isn't much going on. Um, since we moved over to, to Bushwick and there's a little bit more going on there, but it's kind of an interesting thing. I I always heard people compare East Nashville to like Williamsburg Mm -hmm. and it kind of feels like just a bigger version. Like in a lot of ways, it's like a, just a bigger version of Nashville, right? So Nashville like has amazing restaurants and amazing drink places, but New York is just like 10 times that. So it was a little overwhelming and it still is to try and like find some balance of like, this is my regular spot that I go to. And also there's. 4,000 other bars that I could visit that I'd like to check out a bunch of. Yeah. So yeah, I try, I try to, I try to hit a lot of different cocktail bars. Um, I kind of have my favorite beer spaces at this point in the city. And yeah, for wine, there's, there's a lot of restaurants that have amazing wine lists, but there's a few wine bars too that I find myself hitting a little more often in the city as well. How long have you been there now? Interestingly enough, uh, about four years. Southern Grist was kind of getting off the ground just as I was moving out. So I've been there three I think today is like really close to three and a half years, actually. Yeah. When you uh, left, you gave me that sweet deal on that rug. Yeah. That's a nice that, rug. I love that rug, dude. Like, uh, You guys like, had a rug transaction. Yeah. Nice. Rug. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're drinking this lovely red bitter aperitivo from our friends 
at Fourth Ave Spirits. Uh, one of the flavors jumping out to me now, which I had read in the ingredient list but wasn't catching it, rose petals, like wild rose and chamomile. It's like some cool summer stuff going on. So summer's right around the corner. We'll start getting some cool summer cocktails together with this. So you move out to Brooklyn, New York City. You get hooked up with Momofuku Group. You start working with those folks. Yeah. And they're such a big part of that city. And they were like the punk rock kid that initially people were kind of skeptical about, I feel like. I know some of the history of that um, that brand and the, the, the first noodle bar and all that. And they were doing things differently. And it was kind of like, from what I've read over the years, because I was a big Lucky Peach subscriber and just a big fan of, of what they've been doing for a long time. It was like people didn't necessarily get it at first, but also like they didn't really give a fuck that people didn't get it. And then there's a, and then eventually just kind of exploded. People realized that this food is very special. This chef, uh, David Chang, is very special and is bringing this resume and culinary chops you know, from really amazing kitchens and bringing this technique uh, to everything that he's doing. So that had to be pretty amazing to to to, to get um, involved with them. And also, they're lucky to have you. But would you call that food, a lot of the food from some of the different restaurants that you've worked with there, I mean, is it fusion? Is that is that fair to say? Is that is that like the F word? Is that a bad word? It, it kind of has become, I think. Yeah. It's not a term that we really like to use too much. I but... thought I might get in trouble with that one. <laughs> I knew it. But we're definitely drawing influence from um, a lot of different cultures. Yeah. So where we're at Bar Wyo now, Wyo uh, comes from Wyo Sechu, which it came about when Japan reopened their borders. So for a long time, um, Japan was a completely closed off state. And anybody who tried to leave was executed. And anybody who came there from anywhere else was executed. But when they reopened the borders, Wyo Sechu was the compromise between East and West. Mm. And so they started uh, allowing their people to go continue, like go out into the world and, and find out what was there. And a lot of the food things that we consider to be Japanese now kind of came from that. So like we all think of tempura as a Japanese thing, right? Mm. It's like it's they got it from Portugal. Oh, wow. Which is crazy. Yeah. Um, and like a lot of the curry stuff obviously came from other kind of Asian cultures. And I think that's kind of like without actually talking about it, that's what a lot of the Momofugu restaurants are about. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like taking all these different cultures and figuring out what techniques you can take from here with flavors from somewhere else and and what you come up with. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because we can sit around and talk about food and beverage in these uh, all these different terms and without really putting labels on it. But as soon as you're kind of in front of guests and you are... Um, marketing it and you're 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 kind of marketing it every day like behind a bar and you're talking to people and you do have to start using these words and that's kind of where i was like well is it fusion or is it um but uh fusion is good because like people need to categorize things to like yeah process with with where they're around because like sometimes people just like want to be in control of everything if they're spending their money they want to like exercise like total control <laughs> so they they need to be able to categorize things for everything to make sense. That's actually right. a really a really t rough topic of conversation for somebody who works for Momofuku because a lot of our restaurants don't really have a concept. So people are like, so what is it, uh, an Italian restaurant or like this kind of restaurant? I'm like, you could say that. If I you, guess. Yeah, you could yeah. say that. You could say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like, I think you, you guys are probably one of the few groups who, who can 
get away with that because it's like, well, it's just really fucking good. You just have to come. Yeah. I mean, you could, you know, we do, we focus on seafood with a Korean and Japanese bent. I don't know. Yeah. So Mapesh was my first restaurant in New York and there was really no discernible concept. It mm-hmm. was just kind of like whoever the chef is is going to make food that he thought tasted good. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. There was no, I don't think there was really any strict rules about like they could do this or they couldn't do that. Yeah. Which is like a pretty cool part of the, of you know, Momofuku in general is like, if you have a good plan, you want to try something like try it. Yeah. And if it fails, okay, let's try something different. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like really the, the overarching kind of like ethos of the, of the group and the company is like, let's try things to see what happens. And you know, when you strike lightning, then all of a sudden the pork bun exists. Right. Yeah. So, right. It's pretty cool. That's dope. Yeah. So in bringing all these different ideas together, we have, an Italian slash French way of drinking that we're sort of translating to America. And we talk about craft beer, where it's going and that it's sort of going full circle, coming back to really clean, crisp beers. And then we talk about fusing all these different cultures together and these different ideas. But I think what, what we're kind of getting towards, and here's where where I want to talk about how you are, pairing some of these different ingredients together but it seems like we're headed towards like it just doesn't matter as much what we call things yeah i think we're starting to get there i think we're very true and that's where you know you can take us out of the equation but it's it's more about the guest and that's where i feel like we're getting somewhere where you don't have to like explain everything to the guest or explain in these general terms but so if you've been dealing with um big flavors a lot of umami and a lot of fresh seafood as well. How adventurous have you been able to get with some of the stuff that you're pairing? What do you like to pair with some of these big, bold flavors, umami-driven yeah. flavors? So the one kind of theme to a lot of our food that, that makes pairing a little more difficult is spice. So there's a lot of different kind of spicy ingredients that are used in, in the food at, at different Momofuku restaurants I've been at, and that can make pairing like red wines a little bit more difficult. I think Alex, we can probably, we've probably had this conversation before where it's much easier to come up with a a pairing menu that's like a lot of sparkling and white wines. Mm -hmm. And then inevitably there's going to be that one guest that's like, I paid for this pairing, where's my red wine? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's, that's been my biggest battle over my, you know, my, my four years in New York, three and a half years is like, all right, how do I find a way to fit more red wines into these pairings? It's something that I've been that I've had good success with. I mean, Gamay has kind of like always been the sommelier's dirty little secret, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But and why would that be? Well, the wines are lighter and they don't have much tannins. The main issue with red wines and spice is that is that red wine uh, amplifies. Uh, I'm sorry, tannins in red wine amplify spice. <coughs> um, so if you eat something that's spicy and then you drink a big tannic red wine after it, it kind of like makes it feel even more spicy on your palate. Typically, um, like higher alcohol too. Yeah, higher alcohol will do the exact same thing. Heat on heat. Well, generally, those that are looking for red wine are looking for bolder reds. I, I personally yeah, feel like definitely. I come across, yeah. So using a Gamay is almost, it's basically cheating because they don't even feel like they're getting a red mm-hmm. wine. But It's a compromise. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that's it's just kind of like, you know, trying to figure out a way to sneak some more red wines in. Um, at Momofuku, because of our Japanese name, um, sake all of a sudden is, is a little bit more of a larger part of what we do than anything I've ever done before. And sake can be kind of a, a nice way to to mix it up, to let people know that we're doing just more than wine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I, you know, I've I've always kind of had issues with pairing cocktails with food in a general sense, but when you do it really, really well, 
like one cocktail in a pairing, it can really put people over the top in their experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, it kind of changes things up and probably makes it seem like there's maybe a little more value to the whole experience. I think uh, so. You know, I think uh, so. It's really easy to cheat and just start with like one of these aperitivos and be like, all right, here's the cocktail in the pairing. Um, but if you can like sneak a cocktail into the middle of like into the middle of a tasting menu or something, it's like pretty kind of an epic situation. I always loved doing like sherry and I feel like it was like sherry. Yeah. Sherry dry vermouth. Yeah. Cocktails with thyme, you know, like put the herb thyme in there. And I feel like that would really tie things together for like a big steak. If you had other courses and then like you throw that with like a steak course or maybe tartare or something like that. Mm-hmm. I always loved that. What are some other, what would you say would be a good example of like a cocktail that you've paired something with that you thought was, oh, I did something here. Yeah, I have, well, to, I have to think about that for a second. Do you remember there was a, I ate at Co three years ago and I remember there was a cocktail pairing like halfway through and was it, it was a collaboration that Momofuku did with another distiller. It was like a tomato influence. Oh yeah, that was a really cool thing where we were doing the, um, it was Kind of like a strange take on a Bloody Mary that we yes, paired with yeah. in a, a, a clam soup. Whoa. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's that cool. And we're using tomato bonji mm. in the drink, which is um, a bonji is something that, that David Chang trademarked. That's um, essentially anything that is this. It's, it's soy sauce, but made from something that's not soy. It means essence. So it's like a soy sauce made from tomatoes. Whoa. Yeah. I'm, re- I'm not recalling what the base spirit was in that drink at the moment. Uh, yeah, I want to say it was like a agave, but I need to... Yeah. Oh, it was mezcal. Yeah, it was mezcal. mezcal. That that thing was wild. That's cool because then, you know, you add a little smoke to the dish, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah, a really visually appealing um, clam soup that had kind of like had, oh man, that thing was wild. dots or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I have a horrible memory and the fact that I can still remember that. Better than me, apparently. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's probably the craziest cocktail we've done with food. That's interesting. So you both have had kind of a challenge or it's been it's been interesting working with uh, spicy food and pairing wines with it. Um, Alex, I want to put you on the spot, but, uh, you know, people in Nashville like their spice or they claim to. Yeah. <laughs> they like that medium white people medium. Yeah. But uh, yeah. What uh, what what's your take on pairing um, wines with spicy food? Is that something that you have to get into? Uh, yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Riesling is always a cop out, uh, but especially... And he used to work with Brian Baxter, right? Yeah, Baxter. That guy loves acid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it even pins it's you down a little too. bit more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a little bit of spice plus a lot of acidity. Like you need wines with high acid. You need some wines with sugar to kill that spice a little bit. Um, so I use it as an excuse to share Riesling with more people uh, around Nashville that, you know, are afraid of it. And That's an excellent out. idea. Yeah, and are you doing uh, like dry rieslings? Or are you doing you adding a little sweetness? Generally, in there? like a little sugar on there. Yeah, yeah. I like to let people know, just like a daiquiri, like or that's all often what I related to is you have that lime juice, so you need a little sugar to balance it out. Or you know, the amount of sugar you're getting in a riesling is a lot lower than a lot of other cocktails or drinks you're yeah. having. So it can serve a purpose and also be in balance and just try to get away from people's images of like cloyingly sweet ultra cheap wine when it comes down to it that's great too because i'm sure bre- breaking out the daiquiri for like the guests mm-hmm. at, at bastion they're like daiquiri yeah, i yeah. like this guy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like a daiquiri man yeah all right frozen around the rocks yeah, there you go <laughs> around, so kind of in the opposite direction though um maybe sneaking in white wines where people don't expect them mm-hmm. uh 
sweet Rieslings with some age with dry aged beef. Yeah. Mm. Uh, if you get like a really fatty ribeye that's got like some real age on it, like 60 plus days, and then you have like a Riesling that's maybe 10 plus years old that's Auschleza Spätleza. That's like a pretty sneaky good pairing that nobody that nobody it sees is, coming. So I'm trying to picture it because I haven't tried those two things together. Candied blue cheese or something. What's the interaction that you're getting there from the like the funky kind of full flavors of dry aged beef with you know what I'm guessing is something like kind of floral and maybe a little honeyed or what yeah. what's the yeah what's what's what sets it off for you with that to me it's the it's the petroly thing that starts to happen to mm. Riesling oh, as yeah, it ages that makes sense kind of yeah. has that like gasoline ish like kind of smell mm-hmm. and then and um, you know it's kind of the same thing as acid in anything else right it still high, has high acid and and that really high acid kind of like wipes away some of the the big fatty funky flavors um, just enough that you really really want another bite mm. that's cool you're kind of like wait I really like that flavor can it Come and then you just kind of like are going back and forth the whole time, and that's a pairing that I've been I've really liked for a long time that I'm getting to play with a little bit more now. That's cool. Yeah, pair something else with dry aged beef. With dry aged beef, yeah. Pick your choice of red wine, mm-hmm. right? Like for me right now, I'm I'm digging a lot of different garnacha from Spain. Mm. Um, there's a lot of younger producers that are doing some really cool stuff out there, and in a region that like coming up through the Som ranks and everything, I feel like Spain was really really on the back burner through almost all of my studies and as i've been tasting more recently almost all the cool stuff i'm tasting is young spanish producers Mm. that's been really something that i've been loving um over the past year that seems to be such a theme with wine now like the the young producers over here in this area like i feel like you can say that about california france you know it's like People with like spunky hair and dirty overalls and like. Well, I think there's a couple factors there, like bracelets. Yeah, lots of bracelets, hats, dirty teeth. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, so a lot of that is these people are coming at it without any uh, any heritage, right? Like they they don't their dad didn't make this, their grandpa didn't make it, and so they're like willing to take risks. Mm. Um, and then I think another factor to that is is kind of the climate change that we're seeing, where a lot of the vineyards that younger people can afford to buy have traditionally been thought of as as subpar because of maybe higher elevation, which all of a sudden is starting to look real good. Yeah. Because the higher elevation now is is the perfect temperature for ripening grapes rather than, you know, 10 or 20 years ago when it was when those grapes had trouble getting ripe. And from what I've uh, researched into like Virginia wines and things where they have such a problem with moisture and they have such a problem like prune, they prune in these vines like bonsai trees. But some of the more successful operations are in higher elevations where it's super dry or they're on like a, uh, a, a hillside where, you know, their their only problem is they might need a little bit more water, but they're not having as much uh, moisture problems. Now, I know New York has become, you know, starting to be known for really great wines. Are you playing around with some New York wines up there? Yeah, Finger Lakes is, is yeah, the Finger become Lake. a really cool region, I think. And there's some people that are doing some interesting stuff on Long Island as well that's that I think is going to, is, is getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Finger Lakes, I mean, we poured what four or five years ago now at Husk, we were pouring four Riesling by the glass yep. and those guys are still killing it. Those wines are awesome. Yeah. There's all these great Rieslings, um, Gewürztraminer. A lot of Pinot Noir coming up now too. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. 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 It's pretty exciting. It's a cool region and it's not too far from the city. So like if you want to do a cool like New York trip, you can fly into the city, go visit a wine region and then come back to the city before you fly home. That's like. Wow gives you the whole package i think just take the train up there yeah yeah, yeah. You can take a train out there 
think there's smaller flights you can take as well. Oh, wow. But yeah, it's really easy to, to just pop up there and I think it's a two or three, two and a half hour drive, but taste some wine and come back to the city. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Why did you move to New York, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> did you like, Getting uh, hard, you, questions. You like uh, hard questions with Kenneth Dedman. The only reason, I feel like the only serious? reason I, I can only speak for myself. The only reason that I would move to New York is because of how much I love Tony Soprano. And, <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. I would have to freaking get up there and find find that dude, the dude in the jacket. Yeah. The members only jacket. <laughs> of course. So Jake Lewis, who is Momofuku's beverage director, was uh, a friend of mine. We met on a trip to Napa um, while I was working at Husk, and we just kind of stayed in touch. And as true nerds do, shipped some beers back and forth from our... He was in Toronto at the time, and I was here in Nashville, so sending some regional beers back and forth. You know, he called me one day, and he said, I have a, I have a job opening at Mopesh. All in all, that was really that's really why I moved to New York was to work for was to work for Jake at Momofuku. That's amazing. Yeah. That's dope. Everything else has fallen into place nicely. I mean, it was really close. It looked like I might move to another city for for some time. It looked like Boston was probably gonna be the winner. But yeah, I did my my interview with Momofuku and I trailed at Mopesh and that was you know, it was a pretty clear choice. I got off the train in New York and kinda did the really like cheesy thing of like looking around and being like, Yeah, I gotta give this a shot. Yeah, because you were right near, kind of near Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I got right off. There. I got off at Penn Station at two a.m. from I was in Boston interviewing for that job, and I came down to New York to do my interview for Momofuku. And yeah, I got off the train and. What were you wearing? Probably something nice. Yeah, he had an interview. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't actually remember what I was wearing. Do you wear dress shoes or do you wear sneakers <laughs> with nice clothes? <laughs> sneakers all the time. Like uh, I own like one pair of dress shoes at the, at this point. Uh, I, I try to never wear. You should get like what I call Obama shoes. They're like really nice looking dress shoes, but they have like very athletic soles. Oh yeah! In case you get chased or something, like <laughs> you're good. But you you can you can go to a wedding and like and it works. And yeah, not look like not look like you're like trying to be a little boy. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Some yeah. shoe talk. Yeah, yeah, love it. So you love your hip hop. Yeah, I do. And. uh we like to do Parapalooza. We had an epic version with Alex a while back. and But we've talked a lot about pairing today, which is awesome. We love talking about that. This because a little game, yeah. There's so many different directions you can go with, whether you're playing something off of a dish or you're, you know, like Coke and fries, Coca-Cola and fries, Coca-Cola, burger, fries. It's, it's like, it's a different than the burger and fries. But sometimes you do, you match up flavors. You briny with briny and you do these things, but... What we haven't done a lot with is pairing music with wine or beverage, <laughs> which is always expanded a, a, so, to beverage. a difficult so, and dangerous endeavor. Yeah. yeah, it's dangerous. We better pour a little more drink. Should uh, we explain but, the rules here real quick? Oh, yeah, if we have them. Andy, any, <laughs> anything liquid will do. Food is a bonus. Oh, food's a bonus. Okay, very good. Are we calling it hip-hop or yeah. rap artist? What do you want to call it, Andy? Hip hop or rap artist I, I pairing? Think, I think hip hop. Hip hop is hip hop uh, pairing. A little more all encompassing. Yeah, I'm really into the genre of hip hop. Hip hop. Hipsters playing harp. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a thing. That's a okay. thing. Okay, definitely in East Nashville. Uh, yeah. All right. So for the record, Andy, we will throw a hip hop artist at you, and you will you will pair said hip hop artist with a beverage. Yeah. Get used to edit out some silence. And food is food. No. <laughs> all good. We're coming at you, Andy. Did you want to start, Mike? Oh yeah, I, I just want to start. Start with, off easy. Um, give him, give him something easy to start. I do have something easy because um, 
We're gonna okay. We're gonna, we have yeah, a newsy item. Go. We have a newsy item. Um, so and this was I, th- I thought this was very interesting. So Flavor Flav of Public Enemy has recently he hit Bernie Sanders with a cease and desist over a Public Enemy rally. Um, it was in Los Angeles. This is via Pitchfork. Allison Hussey reporting on this. Flavor Flav has issued a cease and desist over public enemy performing at a Bernie Sanders rally. The statement addressed in part, quote, the unauthorized use of Flavor Flav's likeness, image, and trademarked clock in promotional materials circulated by the Sanders campaign. The poster was epic. On Saturday, Chuck D addressed the issue in a statement, quote, Flavor chooses to dance for his money and not do benevolent work like this, end quote. That's intense. Uh, I can hear him like saying that. And uh, he went on, quote, he has a year to get his act together and get himself straight or he's out. So this is like this, this little story right here is putting in, in light. What is that? Like brings to light today. uh, Recent. Yeah. In the last few days um, brings to light some issues going on with public enemy. So in this politically charged climate, what do we pair with public enemy music? I mean, they're pretty. They're pretty angry most of the time. I think they have good reason to be. So I don't. Know. What's What's the most aggressive thing that we can think of to drink? White Claw. White Claw. <laughs> but, it's not what you say. It's like, how you say it. The pre-band Four Loco. Four Loco before they like banned and had to take out all the yeah, caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I like that. Or that's Sparks. Pretty, that's pretty Sparks. Public, yeah, Sparks. One of those caffeinated alcoholic beverages. That's, Old that's Sparks, like Indiana. twelve years, twelve years ago. Sparks. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah. Okay. All right. There's a thing that I wish I'd never drank. What sparks or four loco? I used to shotgun them. Like <laughs> I, it was like <laughs> I'd like we'd, we'd shotgun, shotgun. <laughs> we'd shotgun two of them and go skate downtown. I was gonna say, was this pre or post skating? Pre skating. Just sweat it all out. Yeah. Middle of the summer. That's Legislative rough. Plaza, downtown Nashville. Smoking blood. All right. Going back to a little bit later, but maybe '90s. I know you're a big Biggie fan. Yeah. What do you pair with? Uh, Biggie. Well, let's see. Biggie's got that nice flow, so probably something that's just like really easy to drink that you'd maybe have a few of and not even realize that you did it. I used to do that with the Dark and Stormy over at Patterson House. Mm, so nice. I think I think a Dark and Stormy might be the Biggie drink. I love it. Yeah, ah, that's but great. specifically that like that school of Dark and Stormy that the the cruise. I'm I, well, I'm sorry. I think they use a. I'm not sure if they use a cruise in Blackstrap or Gosling's Dark Seal, but yeah, yeah. they probably messed around with both over the years. Yeah. What about what? What would you feed Biggie? What would I feed Biggie? Yeah. <laughs> hey, caviar, baby. <laughs> <laughs> caviar. caviar and dark yeah. and stormies. I love yeah. it. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking crab cakes. Crab cakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crab cakes. We'll with, save. We'll with save for caviar the, on top. Yeah. We'll save for those guys down a little bit further south, Virginia Beach, and everything. Something about the caravan on my way to Maryland. I'm like, Maryland, crab cakes, <laughs> caviar. Yeah. Yeah. It all ties in. Dark and stormy. I love it. That's great. Not to go too soon, but what about Tupac? Well, Tupac. Maybe something West Coast. Yeah, Ooh. something on the West Coast action. Ooh. Yeah. Great actor. Multi I'm trying to think of, of the, like that era poet. too. Yeah. Yeah. I think we might go, mm-hmm. we might have to go beer with a little Sierra Nevada pale ale. Ooh. Old school. Classic, mm-hmm. bitter. Mm-hmm. Tupac had that bite. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I like it. Yeah, he's good at this. We knew this was like good. This is great. Pint bottle. Yeah, I mean, like a. Like I wouldn't. A pocket, I wouldn't say no bottle. to that. What about um? I got a double. 
Real quick. Uh, Tribe Called Quest. Tribe Called Quest. Real quick. Come on. Oh, this is a hard thing to do real quick. Yeah, yeah. He has to be quick. Um, Smooth. Multifaceted. A great team. Yeah, I think like. <laughs> a great team. We were a great team. They were a great team. Yeah. Didn't they hate each other? <laughs> they had some issues. I actually saw, I saw well, them perform. I'm talking like the music. You know, had some real teamwork. I saw them perform with the full crew. Once, which was really cool, at uh, the Sa- Sasquatch Festival. No, Rolling uh, uh, Rock the Bells. Mm. Rock the Bells, really cool. Okay. One up alert. I saw him. I saw him all, all original with Buster Rhymes <laughs> and Nas. Well, that's okay. You win. <laughs> it's the one up. Yeah. Brought to you by White Claw. No, I think I think like really high end cognac. You know, like Hennessy XO, something that's like pretty expensive and you know just a sipper. That's what's up. Okay. I like that with those bass, like with those jazzy bass beats. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Question number two. It's a two-parter. Q-tip solo. Oh, Q-tip solo. Oh, that changes things a little bit more. I think we're going to the same vein, but I think we'll just go Don Julio 1942. So the same idea, the same idea, but just like a little bit more flavor. All right. Juvenile. Juvenile. (laughs) Does he still perform here every uh, St. Paddy's Day? I don't know. That was the thing when I lived in town. He walked on a tab on me one time. Did he really? Yeah, like twenty four hundred. Well, what was he drinking then? Champagne. Champagne. All right, I guess Missy Elliott. It's weird a guy Mi- named Ju- Juvenile would do that. <laughs> <laughs> How juvenile? Peace out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Where are you going, sir? Uh, Miss- Missy sir? Elliott. <laughs> oh, Missy Elliott. I'm not sure I have anything for Missy Elliott. Okay, uh, Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill, I like think I think back to the um, Sister Act days, which you know makes me think of Whoopi Goldberg in Vegas, and like one of those big drinks with the straw that you carry around the strip. Yeah, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. So like a, a dac- like a slushy daiquiri, like a huge one. Hell nice. yeah, dude! You're, you're <laughs> crushing it. <laughs> <laughs> this is like we All did right. this on a whim, but we probably should have been doing this for the last hour. All right, <laughs> we Me- whole Me- show. Meek Mill. Oh, Meek Mill. Ooh. I guess this is like kind of an all relation thing to me. Like, what do I think of? So Meek Mill, I think of, of Philly. And I guess in Philly, I just think of the, the roasted pork sandwiches. And for that, you just need like like a, a shitty beer. Narragansett? I'm not, what's what's the Philly shitty beer? Yingling? Yeah. Is Yingling down there? Yes. I know they're in Pennsylvania, Yeah, right? tall boy Yingling. Yeah, tall boy Yingling for, for Meek Mill. I like yeah, that. Yeah, I love the tall boy Yinglings. They're so much better in the bottle. It I tastes like. better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rick Ross? Rick Ross Champagne. That Shakira, but like <laughs> Shakira, Shakira. What's that? Uh, if if I could interject I, or help the uh, what was that like Mexican um, rose liqueur? Oh, tequila rose, tequila rose, tequila rose. <laughs> Holy shit, Shakira. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. tequila rose. I liked Shakira back in the Astoria Key days. So one I think, up. <laughs> I think Shakira. Shakira pairs with anything. She's also not rap, so yeah. uh, she can do whatever the fuck she wants, dude. <laughs> She's, she has proven that. Yes, that was great. We got any other ones for that? Uh, Alex, you got you want no, you want one? No, 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 no. No, no let's no. give Alex a couple. No, this is not my forte. I don't. No. It's even better. I'm just gonna be like, who are they? Uh, champagne, Riesling, Champagne, Riesling, and I'll just do the cop outs for wine pairing. Okay, name <laughs> Gamay. We'll throw one of those in. There you go. All the yeah. all the cheats. Yeah. Since that whole episode, there was a story that came out that, because we talked about how Vikings and all these like gruff 
incredible warriors drinking mead like a refined honey beverage and how that was kind of weird to me but the you know we talked to uh, uh ross and drew and they made the point that this was probably a different style of mead it probably wasn't quite as refined as what we have now but then a story came out that no 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 before going into battle these vikings were not drinking mead they were drinking hallucinogenic herbal nearly toxic beverages with a an herb called henbane also known as devil's eye and stinking nightshade black henbane which you should if you're listening to this you should look up it's fascinating uh has a has a long history as a notorious toxic as well as a beneficial medicine medicinal plant the pale yellow bell-shaped flowers with purple veins are a diagnostic feature and they can grow up to 36 inches tall and have hairy leaves that are sticky to the touch. It's highly poisonous and should not be carelessly used even by herbalists. But these guys were making beverages with this stuff. And what it would do, it would uh, create these crazy hallucinatory like experiences where they'd go into battle and they just they wouldn't feel as much. It blocked their pain receptors. It, uh, it, it made them very, very uh, angry and very hungry. This was just a crazy story. So it's interesting. Um, That's kind of the opposite of where the the term "bite the bullet" comes from. World War One, British soldiers were like taking the shot, like the uh, the bullet out of the like actual like cartridge and snorting or like drinking like gunpowder because it would make them it would fuck them up to the point where it, it mimicked like concussion or shell shock, so they would get out of they would get out of out of the front lines and sent to a hospital. But if they got caught doing it, they were executed. Well, thank you for that. And uh, we thought <laughs> we thought it was important to uh, follow up the the meat episode with that that bit of herbal knowledge that uh, maybe these guys were drinking crazy henbane tea, fermented henbane tea drinks, and just getting wild, like foaming at the mouth and shit. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like crying, crying tears of blood. Loss of muscular control, dilation of the pupils, heart palpitation, hallucin- hallucinations, and delirium. I, I think it was probably good to have because if they were injured in battle, like really injured, they could take uh, big doses of the henbane tea and go into coma. So we've come a long way since those days. <laughs> yeah, it needs a little better than that now. Mm-hmm. You can find Andy Wedge at uh, Bar Wyo in New York City, right there. Is it right on the Hudson? Yeah, we're on the, the South Street Seaport in the Pier 17 building. Pier 17 building. It's beautiful, beautiful spot. Yeah, right on the water. It's great. Amazing. Doing amazing things in the bar there and with the beverage program. Of course, we know the food is going to be amazing. I look forward to seeing you out there pretty soon here. April 17th, Garden to Glass in Bar Wyo. Throwing six, down. Six weeks away. Six weeks away. Holy moly. So come on out there to New York City. We don't know what the uh, Corona climate will be, <laughs> but uh, we'll either be you know, drinking Coronas, we'll be sick with the virus, or we'll be in New York City. So Contracting it. Thank you so much for coming today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. Yeah, it's really great to see you again, Andy. This Thanks is, for putting up with all our antics. Yeah, you're my buddy. <laughs> I swear. We also want to throw a shout out to Mr. Alex Birch right here from Pleasure. Bastion. Pleasure. Uh, amazing with pairing all sorts of things. So go to see him over at Bastion. And we appreciate you con- contributing as our wine correspondent <laughs> Alex on the Liquid Gold team. Alex turned me on to the, the, uh, the egg sandwich at Cafe Rose today. 
at Avocado. Yeah. Shout out to them. Huge. Yeah, so Cafe much. Rose, was... shout out. And you can get a fine Campari and OJ there. That seems well, like a great pairing. That <laughs> sounds so bad. They'll, uh, they'll fluff your orange juice, too. Oh, nice. That's a good insider yeah. tip. Get your orange juice fluffed at Cafe Rose for the Sorry, Julia. Garibaldi. Sorry, bro. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be fluffing some OJ. Oh, um, that's amazing. Thank you all so much for being here. What a great ramble. All right, so that was just crazy to go back and hear that, hear where we were at uh, before everything sort of went south. Um, now I want to turn it over to an interview I just did a couple days ago with Andy Wedge, following up with him on the past six months. He's been through a ton, the fire at his place. Um, you just had to catch up with him. It's cool you get to hear all these uh, cityscape sounds in Manhattan as he's running around, running some errands before work. So I'm going to turn things over to... Uh, the follow-up interview that I did with Andy Wedge. Here it is. All right, and on the line here on Liquid Gold, we've got uh, Mr. Andy Wedge, who is calling in from Manhattan. How you doing, Andy? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing pretty well. Hanging in there, man. Yeah, same. You've had a wild six months since uh, since we did the interview early March. And you also had a fire in your apartment in Brooklyn? Oh, yeah, man. Since we talked, I mean, obviously, you guys had the tornado. And then I actually had a trip planned to visit my mom for about 10 days in Arizona. And that was back in March? Yeah. And yep. during that trip, so I went on the tri- I went on the trip, and then every- they shut everything down three days later. So I was in Arizona for three months, which was, like, pretty nice. Yeah, that's good. I'm sure you you wanted to be away from New York City at that point. So you uh you you make your way back to New York City after three months away. The city has shut down. Um and had, and I guess at that point it was what starting to trickle. Things were starting to trickle open, and outdoor dining was starting. When did you head back yeah. to work? Uh, I got back and started working just before the Fourth of July. Wow. Yeah, things were still pretty, seemed pretty shut down. The city has definitely opened up more since then. But yeah, when I got back, people were still being really cautious, and it was kind of a, a crazy thing to see. And then, of course, we're in town for like a month and a half, and then the apartment burns down. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, what? What? How did that happen? How did the? Uh, how did the fire happen? Yeah, well, so saying it burned down is is an exaggeration. It was. Was a, we lived on the top floor. There was a fire on the roof that was started by some roofers were working up there all day, and apparently they left a, a leaky propane tank up there. Oh. I'm not sure how that caught some type of a spark and started a fire, but um, luckily due to some really good neighbors in the, in the neighborhood, uh, they were on a roof hanging out, and they saw the fire start to spread. They called 911 immediately. Um, then they ran over and started telling us all to get out of the apartment. Wow. Uh, yeah, so... It was about 1130 at night, and we just kind of like standing down on the street. I could see up into the, we were on the third floor, and I could like see up into the third floor window and see the, the firemen start sticking their axes up in the ceiling and pulling the ceiling down in my bedroom. So, Holy cow. Yeah. Overall, it's, a, it's not the worst situation, though. We, um, we didn't lose very much stuff. The stuff that we did lose was just due to some water damage. There was no smoke or fire in our apartment at any point. 
So did you have to make that decision of there's a fire in my place and now I have to grab those items that are most important to me? And you being, and another part of this question, you being a sommelier of the highest order, um, <laughs> did you reach for a few bottles? Is it like a couple of bottles and pictures or what were you grabbing as you, before you head out the house? No, I had, I really was kind of like falling asleep. So I was in like that in-between groggy sleep phase. Yep. And uh, I really had no idea what was going on. All I know is there was like people yelling at us outside to get out. So I just slapped on some shoes and found a shirt and ran outside. Wow. Although that being said, there were a few there were a few bottles I would have reached for if I if I had my uh, wits about me. <laughs> yeah. Were you telling the firemen like, hey, uh, throw down that bottle of Bordeaux? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, those guys they. Uh, they came in. They took care of business. They That's did a great good job. And yeah, we uh, that happened on a Saturday night. Um, the Red Cross put us up in a hotel for a few nights, which was really great. After this whole situation, I definitely recommend donating money to the Red Cross. They were a big lifesaver. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, the Red Cross put us up in a hotel for a few nights. Gave us a debit card to buy some food with, and then. Um, we signed a lease on Tuesday and moved in on Wednesday. So it was a real quick Wow. Real quick move. So you moved from Brooklyn into Manhattan. Yep. Right as the city is starting to reopen slowly. Yeah, I think we're definitely starting to get there and, and uh I was working at uh a noodle bar for the most part there at the beginning and we were just doing takeout food. Now I switched over to Co where they're doing outdoor dining and we're allowed to start seating 25% indoor dining uh, starting next week on Wednesday. Yeah, it's a big change. Yeah, it's crazy. So you're still with the Momofuku crew, so that's cool. Uh, Bar Wyo, which we talk a lot about in the interview that we just heard, um, is closed right now. Is that correct? Yeah, the, yep. yeah plans on hold for the moment for Bar Wyo. And yeah, hopefully we'll get going down there with... Uh, with something in uh, in the spring. Yeah. So what do you as a, as a as a Manhattanite now, as a New Yorker, um <laughs> there's been all these reports, you know, oh people are fleeing the city and the rents are going to drop and the city's going to change and you know, I I definitely don't buy any like it's over for New York or whatever. I mean, it's New York City. Um it, it could potentially make things even cooler. Um but what are you seeing right now is just overall in New York? Are you noticing less people around? Are you hearing about rents falling? Um, what's the yeah. overall vibe in the city? Yeah, I don't really see less people on my daily movements, but uh, the rents definitely went down a little bit, which is kind of how we can afford to live in a, an apartment that we probably wouldn't have been able to afford to this time last year. Okay. And the vibe is, I mean, people are mostly, it, just, it seems pretty normal still. That yeah. being said, I know our industry specifically has been hit really hard, and I have a lot of friends who will not be coming back to New York who are restaurant professionals. So, yeah, it's not something that's noticeable on the day-to-day, but knowing that, like, if restaurants are able to get back up and running 100%, there's going to be a, a much smaller talent pool yeah. to, to pick from, and that's, that's including, you know, front-of-house, back-of-house a lot of beverage professionals have left the city. And there's a lot of people who are, you know, staying where they, going back to where they grew up, which I think is kind of cool. I think 
maybe that'll open up a lot more cooler restaurants and bars and stuff in some other cities. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's eventually. true. Mm-hmm. Which you were starting to see some of that, you know, over the last maybe eight years, five years, ten years, whatever. Um, cities like Grand Rapids, you know, uh, Kansas City had great, a lot of great food, but still, um, it's way more interesting now. And Denver's obviously exploded. Um, yeah, Detroit and Cleveland both have some really cool food scenes going on. Is your plan to try and stay there in, in Manhattan, in in New York, uh, for the foreseeable future? We're definitely a little bit, our eyes are open, right? We're, we're kind of seeing what's out there a little bit more than, than before. Yeah. You know, if this COVID thing hadn't happened, I think the answer to that would be like, yeah, we're going to be here for who knows how long. But, um, you know, since COVID, it's kind of like putting some family stuff into perspective a little bit more. Um, and both Hannah and I are from the Southwest, so she's from Southern California and I'm from Arizona. So, you know, I don't think we're like looking to jump out of New York City as soon as possible, but my eyes are, are, are open a little more than they, than they used to be, we'll put it that way. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it'll be kind of inspiring to see, um, being in Manhattan, seeing, you know, whatever kind of rebirth can start there from, and hopefully the 25% capacity dining goes well. And we can get through the fall and the winter without too much of a second wave or another set of closures and all that. And then things can really start to blossom in the in the spring, heading into next summer. Is that how you see it? Uh, that's the hope. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think that well, I was talking to my mom in Arizona. And, and, you know, they can basically do outdoor dining all year round in Arizona. Maybe with some heaters in the wintertime, but... Uh, it's going to get cold here, and I'm pretty concerned about people being gung-ho about spending more time in tight quarters indoors, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, that includes just, like, maybe people are going to be more willing to go over to their friend's house for apartment, uh, friend's apartment for dinner, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so I, I'm, I'm wary of a second wave yeah. here in the city, for sure. So it doesn't surprise me walking around or or driving around in Nashville, especially downtown. Um, but it doesn't necessarily surprise me to see maybe a lack of masks in some areas. But what's the vibe that you're seeing in, in terms of masks in New York City? Is it like everybody's really good about it, or is it still kind of is it is it hit and miss with masks, or you feel like it's it's pretty? under control in terms of that yeah for the most part people are pretty good about it outdoors people are a little more willing to take their masks down yep um which i think based on on what we can read right now and and you know assuming that all of the science doesn't change tomorrow again um i feel like if you're outdoors the the chances of transmission are pretty low i think when people are in you know people are walking down fifth avenue where it's really crowded i think they do a much better job of wearing the masks but um and then indoors, yeah, every business, pretty much every business on the on the door says if you, if you don't have a mask, you can't come in. And I think most of them are pretty pretty good about sticking to that. That's good. Um, yeah, what, what did I read? You guys, your mask mandate is about to end next week or something? I haven't heard about it ending, the mask mandate, but they are uh, starting to um, change the... They're going into phase three, so offices will open... They're increasing capacity in bars. You know, some bars have said like, oh, we're, we have to limit our capacity to 100 people. And, 
you know, some of those are not are not really that big of bars, so that worries me a little bit. But throughout this whole thing, downtown Nashville has just been a complete shit show. Let's just say yeah, that. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some pictures on Instagram and uh, and Twitter. Yeah, and we've been national news, so you might have heard us heard of us uh, from out there in New York. Oh yeah, so proud. <laughs> it's a you know it's a it's a tough spot everybody's in, and I I hope I wish people would stay safer. It's really very strange to have to like hope for this indoor dining thing when I don't want to be around people, you know. Yeah. But it is what it is, and we've all got to do what we got to do to survive, I guess. Yep. Not my favorite stance to take, but. At the moment, it seems pretty realistic. Crazy, man. Crazy times. I cannot believe how much the world has changed since we had you in the studio, which is that's the last time Kenneth and I have been in the studio was that day. Oh, really? Yeah, that was our last. Oh, crazy. Yeah, that's the last time we've been. And Kenneth and I have only really seen each other um, three times or so since that. We'll see how it goes. I'm definitely a little concerned. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like all the drinks that we're doing, like we it's it's everything's different. Everything's different. Style of service, the you know, the drinks that we're doing are only pre batch drinks that we can just pour and serve. Yep. It's all Well, is there anything let's leave on, on a positive note. Is there anything um right now that you're serving over there, beverage wise, that you're that you're excited about or that you're like, you know what, this is cool. I'm into this. This is new on the fall menu or, uh, yeah. Is there something you're excited about that's going on over there at Co? Yeah. For me, it's, uh, so the, the sommelier at Co and the wine director is, uh, is a guy named Arthur Hahn, mm-hmm. who, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting in 2010 in Chicago. And, uh, you know, we'd cross paths and tasting groups or whatever here and there while we lived in Chicago. And then I met him in Nashville and ended up in New York and he ended up in New York a little bit after I did. And, and uh, He's somebody who I'm really excited to just get to work with. I think he's one of the best wine minds in the city. Oh, that's great. Um, so, you know, getting to work with Arthur finally after, after like, you know, knowing each other for like 10 years is actually, that's my biggest thing right now. So, and the list that he's put together there at Co is so cool. It's this really, really classic blend of, uh, uh, well, you know, a bunch of classic wines from Burgundy and, and, and France. And, but then he's like mixing in a lot of really cool, newer up-and-coming producers that are making natural wines and i think it's a really cool time to just come and you know see us sit down have a nice bottle of wine and some some co-food you know yeah that's great uh, in between the two of us we have a lot of fun you know helping decide what bottles of wine to to you know bring to people um we're not actually using the list right now we just talk to people and say like what do you you know what are you looking for and oh that's interesting point, and uh yeah, so between the two of us, we, we usually come up with some really fun options for people, I think. Very cool. Are we, uh, We I think we, we mentioned, we talked about this a little bit in the interview, but are we, you know, if we can make it out of this and the wine coming out of California isn't uh, too smoky, literally. Yeah. Um, but are we, if we make it out of this uh, COVID situation, is, is are we headed towards a, a golden age of American wine? Yeah, I mean, it's only getting better, and there's so many producers who, who are making a name for themselves, who've been able to build something from the ground up, which is really cool. I don't know, my, my eyes are kind of planted firmly on farming at this point, so there's so many different, like, 
what natural was the first term that people started to jump on and then biodynamic and now we're kind of like talking about regenerative farming where we're looking at farmers who are better to it's better that they're there than not right for the earth yeah um so that's kind of the next wave of that uh as farming gets better and better we're kind of looking at for me that's the word that's on my radar now regenerative farming and there's some people that are taking it really seriously and if the whole country and or world could jump on these farming practices i think we could uh do a lot of good for the earth so yeah giving some nutrients back to the earth instead of just taking all of them yeah yeah and like i said the the term is it's regenerative it's not like we're not just sustaining with this we're actually making the world better right better for the for the climate this is better for the earth than for them to not exist and to me that's pretty exciting that's awesome that's a good high note to leave it on. Yeah. That's what we'll, that's what we'll talk about next time. Cool. All right. Well, we're, we're going to check back in with you and see how it's going um, later on this fall and uh, see how things are shaping up out there in New York City. We can't wait to get back eventually. But thanks so much. I'm glad you made it through the fire. Literally, you have made it through the fire. Um, yeah. And uh, you hang in there, man. We'll be thinking of you. Thanks, man. I miss you guys a lot. And- miss you. Hopefully when uh, travel's all open back up, I can get down there and see you guys again soon. Yeah, thanks a lot for talking to us, Andy. Appreciate you. Thanks, man. All right, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Andy Wedge from Momofuku. He's just been through a lot and uh, really enjoyed all his thoughts on the main episode, the lost episode, that whole portion um, that was back again Sunday, March 1st, 2020. So simpler times, different times, but enjoyed all that. Again, he is featured in the ebook Lost Spring, How We Cocktailed Through Crisis. You can find that on Amazon. There's a link in my bio at Mike Wolf underscore Garden to Glass. So check that out. Want to thank the Nashville scene for covering that. Also, you can always find us on Instagram at liquidgold underscore pod. That's at liquidgold underscore pod. Subscribe, give us a rating, find us on your favorite podcast app, share it, send it around to your friends. We appreciate the listenership's always growing, so we appreciate you spreading the word. Also, I've got a, there's so much going on lately here. I've got a cocktail column at Garden and Health. That's garden-and-health.com. Uh, new website from some folks, uh, Consensus Digital. I'm doing a cocktail column every Friday. So today, what just dropped was me talking about the Jack Rose, and I offer a recipe. My little take on the Jack Rose, where I like to use lemon juice and lime juice. And that drink is just amazing for this time of year because it's not like a real cold weather drink, but it's a nice fall drink with the apple brandy and some of those bright citrus flavors still hanging around in there. So check that out. Always more to come at We Own This Town, weownthistown.net. Want to thank Michael Eads, Upright T-Rex Music for the tunes, Jess Matchin for the logo, my co-host Kenneth Dedman, and uh, my name's Mike Wolf. We will be back to talk cider. We've got a lot of cool cider stuff to get into, as well as in our future, coffee, whiskey, so many things, all the things that you put in your glass. Eventually, we'll be getting into hot toddy as the seasons here change. And we will see you next time on Liquid Gold.